0: It is a blessing not lost on me. What a privilege it is to gather freely, to worship Christ, lift him up, and as he is lifted up, to invite him to draw all of us to himself. So wherever you're joining today... um, across the nation, around the world, wherever you're making your connection with us online, thank you for inviting us into your home. We want to invite you into our home as well. So to those of you who are gathering with us in our physical campuses here in South Florida, we welcome you. We give you the embrace of God's grace, and we greet you in the power of Jesus' name and invite his blessing to find you today. And it's always, you know, it's always a privilege to welcome guests to Christ's journey. But today, Lisa and I have as our special guest uh, some of my family. My sister is here with her husband, Lisa and Ben, and then their daughter, Rachel, and my mother, Levita. Would you greet Levita White, my mother? And I'm telling you, mother, I couldn't help but think when we were singing the song just a moment ago that said, before I spoke a word, you were singing over me. And I've told our congregation and those that have joined us many times that the doctor told my dad, your husband, that he didn't know if we were going to make it because of complications on the day of my birth. um, She was not conscious until when you woke up after I was born. We both made it, obviously. Thank you, God. But after I was born, she said, I heard carols being sung in the hall of the hospital and I thought of that today, Mother. I just say thank you, God, that before I spoke a word, <laughs> songs were being sung over me about the birth of Jesus Christ, and the gift of God's grace, and the uh, the opportunity of worshiping with my family today is very special, so, um, so thank you all for joining us. Let's pray together today that um, The Lord would capture afresh our imaginations, that our mind's attention, our heart's affection, and our life's devotion could be lifted to its highest impact. This is our prayer as we enter into a very challenging understanding. World War II, November 10th, 1942. Rommel's Nazi forces were in full retreat in East Africa. At the same time, the Allies had landed in the West, and Winston Churchill was, um, was encouraged. He was advised to ring out the bells, ring out the bells to celebrate the victory in Egypt, and his response has been timeless. He said, this is not the end. It's not even the beginning of the end. But it is perhaps the end of the beginning. Of course, the war in Europe would rage on for another three years. But the end had indeed begun at that time. Now, as we open the book of Revelation to chapter 6 and read of the seven seals, with the unveiling of the seals, the end, from God's perspective, has Indeed, begun. Now, what we saw when we last left off in chapter five, the vision there with uh, the Lamb on the throne was answering the question who has the right? to define reality? Who has the right to define what's right, to tell us what's right? Who has the authority to define the meaning of what really matters in life? Now this is a question that every age and every generation, perhaps every person asks at some point, who has the right to tell me what's right? And every generation has offered answers to that question. Some answer it with military might. They say, well, it's the one who's powerful enough to force you to, the bend, to bend your will to their desire. Military might. Others see it economically. No, it's the one with all the power with the money. That's, that's where the real power is. They're the ones who control and tell us what's right. Maybe you know the golden rule, the one with the gold rules. Who has the authority? Or is it family? They're the ones who really tell you what's right. You know, the way you were raised, is that really the ultimate definition of what makes right, right? Is it your ethnicity? Is it your race? Is it your gender? Or is it you? Do you, are you truly the master of your destiny, the captain of your own fate? You make your own decisions about this. Or is there another force that has predetermined some code that has given definition to who you are and how you are, and you just acted out what nature has done. See, the question is still being asked and answered, even our culture today. But what power has the right to tell you what's right and to define what values, when they get rolled out in culture and history, who has the power, the authority to define what is ultimately valuable, and then evaluate life and behavior from what is ultimately real. Chapter 5, this is where we left off. The vision in Revelation said there's only one in all of creation and all of the cosmos who has that level of credibility. Credibility that is qualified to be deemed worthy and trustworthy enough to open the scrolls that are in God's right hand that hold the history of the world in them and then let justice roll out. And it's not karma, not in this vision. It's the lamb slain who is also at the same time the Lion of Judah who is also the lamb slain at the same time who is now triumphant in his death over sin and death, who offers himself in perfect obedience to God in love for all the people of the whole world for all of time. That's the vision of Revelation 5. And listen, it's not insignificant that before God's judgments start rolling out in cosmic fashion in chapter 6, the weight of of every judgment, of every sin, and the full penalty of every judgment has already been weighed upon the Lamb of God who is on the cross, who takes away the sins of the world. So we're going to see here and here, here in the coming of the seven trumpets and the seven bowls that God's wrath is rolling out in human history and experiencing. But this is the beginning of the end in terms of revelation. So i got to ask you, you ready to do some heavy lifting? Then remember, the text has already told us that some of that vision is for now, meaning 1st century A.D., when the church was under bloody persecution from the Roman Empire. And then it said, and some will come later. And of course, we're later. So maybe we should listen up to see what pieces fit your life today. We've already seen that it speaks in symbol. We know that it's this apocalyptic language. It's a very specific kind, which means that it's meant to snag our imagination and then spark our minds with images. And then so what I'm going to ask you to do as we read into this, and some of it may sound bizarre to you, to ask God to open your eyes a little wider and open your ears a little more to see and hear beyond what your 21st century programming May have fashioned you to do. This is not like reading the newspaper. This is not like reading a blog. God is inviting us, those who have ears, let them hear, into a powerful storyline in symbol that is full of potential promise. And that was the promise made in Revelation chapter one. He said, Those who hear, so we're giving attention to reading and hearing those who read and then those who take it to heart. And we've been doing that each Sunday as we started to read the revelation. We're going to do it right now as well. So if you're a guest, this is your first time with us, I'm going to invite us to stand for the reading of scripture a few times and now we're going to begin. So if you'd like to do that with us and then wherever you're joining us, right there in your own living room, in your own bedroom, let's stand together so that we might give our attention in Search of the promise that he said will come to those who take to heart what is read and heard. I watched as the lamb opened the first of the seven seals. And then I heard one of the living creatures say in a voice like thunder, come. I looked and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow, and he was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror, bent on conquest. When the lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. And then another horse came out, a fiery red one, and its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make men slay each other. To him was given a large sword. When the Lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come! And I looked, and there before me was a black horse, and its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. And then I heard what sounded like a voice coming from among the living creatures, the four living creatures, saying, A quart of wheat for a day's wages, and three quarts of barley for a day's wages. And do not damage the oil and the wine. When the Lamb opened the fourth seal... I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and there before me was a pale horse, and its rider was named Death. And Hades was following close behind him. They were given power over one-fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and and their testimony, the testimony they'd maintained. They called out in a loud voice, how long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? And then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and brothers who were to be killed as they had been was completed. I watched as he opened the sixth seal. There was a great earthquake, and the sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair and the whole moon torn, turned blood red and the stars in the sky fell to the earth as late figs dropping from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. The sky receded like a scroll rolling up and every mountain and island was removed from its place and then the kings of the earth The princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and every slave and free man hid, hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they called to the mountains, and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. And who can stand? Please be seated. The opening of the seals mark an era of time known in the Bible as the last days. And the careful Bible reader will easily note quickly, if you're paying attention, that in the mind of the New Testament writers, first century followers of Jesus Christ, the last days, the era of time known as the last days... Began in God's timetable when Christ first came to the earth. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times in various ways, but in these last days, Hebrews was written in the first century. He's talking about their time. He has spoken to us by his son. So the last days in God's timetable began when God spoke to us through the vocal cords of Jesus of Nazareth. And then we hear this also in Simon Peter's words. In Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost had come when the spirit blew like wind and then poured out like fire. And the next thing you know, the early followers of Jesus were on the streets declaring the wonders of God in the languages of people from all over the known world. And Peter explains it by saying, you know, some people were saying, oh, they're just drunk. He said, no, 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 the bars aren't even open yet. It's only 9 o'clock. But he says, "Here's, here's what happened. Prophet Joel has said, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. That means speak forth God's truth. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy, speak God's truth. So the pouring out of God's spirit is a sign in Peter's mind that the last days had begun as Joel had predicted. Hmm. So, the last days is a time of spirit empowered witness as God speaks through the coming of Jesus Christ through his people, his church. Now, many scholars believe that the seals of Revelation chapter 6 are parallel to what Jesus spoke about in Matthew chapter 24, where Jesus spoke of the last days. That these are a foretaste of the intensifying of judgment to come in the final days of the last days, which we'll talk about in a moment. From the time when Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 A.D., Jesus talked about how the temple would be coming down and how the entire city would be wiped out. That indeed happened in the first century, 70 A.D. This was written probably around 90, 95 A.D. So for 25 years, the temple had not existed. God's judgments, this is what Jesus said, war, there'll be wars, there'll be rumors of wars, there'll be famine, earthquakes, persecutions, betrayals, increase of wickedness. And so what they were to see in that was that God's judgments are already being rolled out in human history, just like Paul writes in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, where he says, the wrath of God is being revealed right now. First century, from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. We haven't outgrown that one yet in our sophistication. And these four colored horses that we're going to see in just a moment, the horses of the apocalypse, they symbolize that rolling out, according to these scholars, the quest to conquer, violence and bloodshed, economic injustice, inflation, while some are starving and others are protecting their luxuries, And then the fifth seal speaks of persecution, a time of great persecution, where people are killed for staying true to Christ. Now, that was already happening in the world that first read these words. It certainly fit first century Rome. But in our day, this may surprise you, even Forbes magazine, February 2020, notes 50 countries 5-0 5-0 in our world today where Christians are at high and extreme risk of persecution this very hour. 265 million people affected and upwards of one million followers of Christ lost their lives through persecution as martyrs in the last 10 years. One million in the last 10 years. And then the sixth seal speaks of natural disasters. Earthquakes and calamity in the sky, in the sun, in the moon, in the stars that then affect the landmass below. Okay, I checked this one out. The National Oceanic Atmospheric Administration reports that there were twenty separate billion-dollar, with a B, billion-dollar weather disasters in the United States just last year. So, stuff is happening. Stuff is happening in our world. Stuff is happening that they said was going to roll out with the judgment of God against sin in their world. And I'm thinking it's affecting, he said, oh, and it's got the attention of the rich. It's got the attention of those in political power, the kings, the generals, those in military power. The people who like to give definition to what meaning is are all paying attention now in this vision. And it says, then it says, and every other strata of society is feeling it. In their day, it was slave labor, and then also all the free men. So nobody's left out. Everybody's feeling the fear. So what's life going to be like in the last days? Here's a little snapshot from that picture. The world is adrift from God and in rebellion. Moral, military, economic chaos makes everybody feel like life is coming unraveled and there's no place to hide. And maybe you're wondering, well, Bill, you know, if the last days began when Jesus was on earth, then where does that put us? I heard Leonard Ravenhill speak about this in 1980. And he said, the last seconds. (laughs) You know, I mean, God's timetable is different from ours. But what we're going to see as we continue in the study of Revelation is there are those final days of intensifying of what was previously, and we'll, we'll, we'll get to that in a later message. I won't go there now. Would you stand with me for chapter 7? Lord, open our eyes, open our ears, help us to hear what you have for each of us. After this, I saw four angels. Standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or on any tree. And then I saw another angel coming up from out of the east, having the seal of the living God, and he called out in a loud voice to the angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea. Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. And then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000. From all the tribes of Israel, from the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed, the tribe of Reuben, 12,000, tribe of Gad, 12,000, tribe of Asher, 12,000, tribe of Naphtali, 12,000, tribe of Manasseh, 12,000, tribe of Simeon, 12,000, tribe of Levi, 12,000, tribe of Joseph, 12,000, tribe of Benjamin, 12,000. And after this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude, no one could count, from every nation every tribe, people, language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb, and they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels who were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And then one of the elders asked me, these in white robes, who are they? Where did they come from? And I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them in his presence. Never again will they hunger Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them nor any scorching heat for the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Be seated. Man. Man, man. Okay, well, here it is in the story. Just when you think everything is lost, I mean, everybody's crying out to the rocks, fall on us, give us a place to hide, get us out of here, right? It's like an interlude interrupts the scene in the vision. It's like reminding us that God is also at work in mercy, even in the unrolling of judgment. This is so like the God of the Bible. Restraining evil with angelic force, even as it's readied to be rolled out, he says, stop, 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 hold up. What are we supposed to take from that? Well, here's what I'm taking from that. Don't forget, never forget that God has got you covered and that this life is not all there is. Of course, to that first church in the first century, they were watching people they loved dearly being taken out. And to their eyes, it was like, man, ones that we are holding on to, they're being taken away, and God is saying, I've got you. It may appear to you like your enemy is taking believers out, but I want to assure you that I am just taking them in. And you've got to learn how to look beyond what you see and trust what I say, that even on the cross, when... Jesus was going through hell, the Father was still with him and ready to take him, to receive him. So the troubles are not thwarting God's mercy for those that are seeking him, even as this is working. God has a restraining force that is keeping judgment from destroying the world, and at the same time, God is sealing his people and protecting those who trust in him. So... It's actually what the persecutors mean for destruction. God is actually delivering them safely into his arms. And this is also Romans 8, 28, Genesis 50:20 20 kind of moment. You know what the enemy wants to use against God is turning into a redemptive opportunity. Okay, what about the 144,000? Well, remember, in the book of Revelation, numbers are symbolic. They don't, don't take them at literal face value. They're symbolic. And here, 12 times 12, 12 is a number of completeness. 12 apostles, 12 tribes of Israel, number of completeness. 12 times 12 times 1,000, which is a symbolic number for wholeness. It's saying that everybody that's supposed to be in this number is in there. The complete, whole, true tribe of Israel is in the number. Now a seal in the first century would protect and uh, identify contents within the container for its owner. And so the seal, it says that there was a one coming with a seal to do what? Well, to identify and protect the owner's contents, God's people. And, uh, And You might notice the careful Bible student here again is going to see that these aren't the tribes of Israel in the list that you may have seen in the Old Testament. But there are some others included. What's the message here? Well, these are tribes who stayed true to the messianic expectation. These are not the rebellious tribes. These are the people who said, yes, we welcome your witness in the coming of your son, your Messiah. And now God's people will suffer From the enemies of the gospel, but John and the vision is wanting them to know that they will not suffer God's wrath. Now time limitations keep us from doing more drill down here. We'll get to more of this in later weeks, but I want to encourage those of you who want to go deeper to go look at the Life Application Study Bible. There's a reference for it and a location to find it with some other resources in our study notes in the Christ Journey app that you can just go to the end of the message notes today, and you'll see where they are. But what the point is, is that just before the seventh seal is opened, God has secured his people for himself from the world over, and then out of the great tribulation, they have been washed by the blood of the Lamb. That's symbolic as well. They put their trust in Jesus atoning death for their sins and are now covered in his security and then it says what's that security look like well he gives us a little glimpse a window into the heaven that we're going to experience in chapter 21 chapter 22 where he just brought it right up here into chapter 6 and 7 he says they're not going to be the tears will be wiped from their eyes it's just a foretelling of this amazing place of blessing that God wants to keep us right before the world's darkest hour. Some teachers see this as the exit of the church that's been popularly called the rapture. Others see it, that happening in chapter 4. Others see it happening a little bit later, chapter 12. Some see it in chapter 19. I told you that there's a divergence of, a, of study perspective when it comes to this, and we'll get to more of that in a later message as well. But the point is, whichever you believe about the exit when the trumpet of the Lord sounds and the voice of the angel calls and the believers in Christ are lifted, the point here is however and whenever God calls, we are safe in Christ who is still on the throne. Did you see that? Even in the midst of this rollout, the Lamb is on the throne. So will you stand with me now? for the final reading from chapter 8. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them, Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all God's people on the golden altar in front of the throne. And the smoke of the incense, together with the prayers of God's people, went up before God and from the angel's hand. And then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and then hurled it to the earth. And there came peals of thunder and rumblings of Lightning and flashes and earthquake, sound of an earthquake. Would you please be seated? With the seventh seal, there's silence in heaven for half an hour. What's that? I don't know. I mean, we're not told, but you kind of get a feeling like it might be hold your breath, stillness of like, wait what's next? And everybody's like fully focused, like what's going on? And then the seven angels with the seven trumpets step forward because those trumpets are going to announce something significant that's coming. We'll get to the trumpets next week. But also the angel from God's altar where the prayers of God's people are ever before him, the prayer this is so cool. the prayers of God's people are not forgotten. You ever wonder what happens to your prayers when you pray, They don't get stuck in the ceiling. The vision says, and we know this is symbolic but it's incredible. The prayers of God's people are ever before him like fragrant smoke rising like incense on heaven's altar. They're in his nose. They're in his eyes. It's trying to say that God experiences our prayer requests from the heart viscerally. Symbolism, of course, but it's like such... And then the angel lights the fuse on those prayers. I don't know if there's a fuse, but I mean it says he puts fire to the incense and then he hurls it to the earth until the Explosion makes a difference. This this is unfathomable symbolism and mystery, but what I'm taking from it is this Almighty God attends the earth through the prayers of his people. So our prayers go up, and then through whatever angelic assistance the answers come down. And that's where we gotta stop today. So where's the blessing for you in all of this? Well, here's my prayer that God will show you that his spirit will be your teacher. And as you lean into his word and listen for his voice, that he will already have been talking to you about something that has snagged your mind or that has troubled your heart or something that has brought great comfort and you're going to make a note of it. Why? So that you can go spend some time with the Lord and say, now, what is this? But I've got some takeaways for me. One of them is this. Hey, you know what, Bill? Some days are going to seem bad, but I've got you. This is Jesus speaking to me. Some days are going to be bad, I've got you. Some days are going to seem worse, I've still got you. Some days are going to feel like hell on earth, but I've got you and I'm never letting you go. So if you want to be afraid of something, don't fear those who can only kill your body. Be afraid of those who can kill your body and your soul in hell. That's a direct quote from Jesus, Matthew 10, 28. This is like, who are you afraid of and why? If you want to be afraid, then fear the Lord, because that's where the beginning of wisdom is. And what does wisdom tell us from this text? Here you go. God is active in these last days right now, and sin is being judged even as evil is being restrained. Respond while you have time. Here's the second word of wisdom: God is keeping His people safe in Christ, even though our bodies suffer and die. We don't like it when they do that, but God still got us when they do that. And then here's the third one: God hasn't forgotten our prayers, even though it feels like it some days, right? Lord, are you up there? You listening to me? Yeah, imagine this, the swirl of smoke and the smell of incense is ever before him, and he's just waiting to tell the angel, hey, light that fuse and send it down there. We're going to keep on praying for our loved ones. We're going to keep on praying for God's will to be done. We're going to keep on praying for the world to respond to Jesus Christ. And we're going to watch as God's blessing, which is what he promised, would come if we would take this to heart, to find us. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, we thank you for the power of your word. We pray that you would give us eyes to get beyond sea level and hear what you're saying and then join you there so that you might bring your blessing to each one. And wherever you are seeking to speak personally to every person here, I'm praying. Brother, if that's you, sister, would you just lean in and say, Lord, I'm listening. Turn up, turn up the volume a little bit, Lord, I'm listening. And perhaps you're joining us today and realize that your life is not where it needs to be with God. And if Christ were to come back today, tomorrow, that you would not be ready. How do you be ready? Well, you start by getting covered by the blood of the Lamb. What does that mean? You trust his death on the cross to be God's gift of grace, forgiving your sins. And you can do that right now in this prayer. Lord Jesus, I thank you for loving me so that you would come and offer your perfect life in substitute for my flawed life on the cross, that my sins might be forgiven. Forgive me, Lord. And that you would rise from the dead so that your spirit can come alive in me. So, Lord, come alive in me. I open my heart, come into my life. And help me turn from my way to learn to go your way. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Now, our heads are still bowed for just a moment. But if you prayed that prayer with me and would let me ask God's blessing upon your next steps of faith with him, would you simply raise your hand and hold it up just for a moment so that I'll have a chance to see. If you're joining us online, you can click in right there. Check in right there with our chat room hosts who are ready to pray with you and for you now. Thank you. In the back on the right toward the aisle and in the back on my left, center straight through. And then over here to my left in the front. God bless you, sir. Lord Jesus, we thank you that for every hand raised, there is a heart open. And we pray, Lord, that they would know what it means when you said, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. May they feel your peace and joy as we make our prayer in your name.